In the following live session recording, Barry Thompson, pastor of prayer, care, and adults 65 and over at Midway Church in Villa Rica, Georgia, talks about the spiritual life of the leader. Developing a healthy spiritual life as a leader protects against burnout and equips a leader to equip other leaders. Listeners will hear about steps to enhance our spiritual lives, as well as look at ways to be healthy leaders helping other leaders grow. Let's join Barry now. Okay. Are you learning something good? Yes, sir. Did you enjoy Dr. Dew this morning? Yes. I'd never heard him. He was fascinating. I love his story. I'm excited about what God's doing. Uh, I'm a Southwestern grad, and we have a new president, too. Uh, he's a young guy. We have a new president, Lifeway. He's a young guy. I used to be a young guy. Some of us were talking about it a while ago. I said, hey, you remember when we were the young guys that went to these things? I said, yeah, nobody's calling me a young guy anymore. I'm getting my feelings hurt. Uh, but uh, I'm thrilled with what God's doing because there's a lot of new direction going on. And key leaders that are moving into key roles in our denomination who are in their you know, late 30s and 40s. I remember being at that age, you know, and then I realized, well, shoot, I could be some of their daddy, and <laughs> but I'm glad to still be involved. Some of my peers are retiring, and there's nothing wrong with retiring if you have something to do. I do a lot of funerals for people who retire, and they die in two years. They die of a recliner and a large screen TV, yeah. so I'm not going to retire. Uh, I retool, but I don't want to retire. Before... Well, first of all, let me make it. this is the spiritual life of the leader. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Just wanted to make sure they threw me a little bit yesterday because I had four different topics. And yesterday oh. someone thought I was doing the wrong one. I, went, well, I don't think so, but you know, I just wanted to make sure that what y'all read in the book is what y'all came for me to talk about. Otherwise, I'm going to talk about the spiritual life of the leader uh, at, at this session. Think of this. Before they invented drawing boards... What did people go back to? Stone tablets. You heard that? Well, let's go back to the drawing board. Well, drawing boards didn't exist forever. But there has to be a time where you say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back. Let's start over. Things aren't working. Some fat's in the church. It's just not working. But sometimes it's about our spiritual walk with Jesus. We love Jesus. Anybody love Jesus? Yes. Anybody lost? Well, tell you about Jesus and lead your Lord and baptize you in coffee or something today. What, what, just, just want to make sure. But we love Jesus and we're busy. We feel called. How many of you are Bible study leaders in your church? Okay. How many of you are staff members of your church? Okay. All right. Oh, I got a good mixture of all that. Anybody do something else? Anybody worship music leaders? No, oh, they don't have a spiritual life. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> All jokes. Get giddy in the afternoon. Okay. No, but how do we have a good, healthy spiritual life? Sometimes we're reading the Word, we're deep in the Word, we have mountaintop experiences. God's doing great things, but there are times when we're not as close to God as we need to. We've let the world creep in on us. Well, I'm going to give you a sheet to take some notes on. So, uh, Keith, you'll start these. I think I've got enough, but the room got bigger than what they told me, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm giving you a great leader here. And when you see it, you'll know what, what it is. 
And while that's being passed out, I want to ask you another question. If you were in my room yesterday, I asked this question, so don't, don't answer. But how do you know if a word were misspelled in the dictionary, how would you know? How would you know a word was misspelled if it was misspelled in the dictionary? Another reference. <coughs> Who said the dictionary is the ultimate authority on spelling? Did we vote on it? No. See, that's a... I remember in, the, in grade school I tried to argue with a teacher about there were other ways to spell the word than what she wanted. <laughs> didn't work. I still didn't pass. But, um, you know, we have to look at where do we get our authority from? To have a spiritual life walk with Jesus, he has to be the ultimate authority. Well, this little cartoon that I've given you here from Hagar the Barbarian. I love cartoons. I love reading Hagar. He could, you know, I don't know it's because he's got a beard and he's overweight, but he's my kind of man. <laughs> I can just relate with him. But I've loved this one, and it's been around for a long time. And I've used it for years. Never mind what's holding it up. Just keep hammering. <laughs> and unfortunately, we as spiritual leaders do that with our own walk with Jesus. Don't worry about what's going on. I, just, just, I got all these needs. I got this Sunday school lesson repair. I got to do this for the church. I got this committee meeting. I got this demand for my family. Just keep going. I'm running. That's called surviving. Not thriving. If we're going to thrive, we've got to make Jesus the priority. Now, I start my morning off. I get up. I go to the bathroom. I get my cup of coffee afterwards. The weather's nice. I go outside. I have a gorgeous back porch area with beautiful landscape backyard. Somebody spent hours doing that. It was the guy I bought the house from. <laughs> I, just, I love it. One of the reasons I bought the house. It's very quiet there. And I just swing and talk to God and read the Word. And when I have 20, 30 minutes of that, it, my day is great. I've been known to sit out there in my winter coat and gloves. Uh, when it's hot, well, I don't stay out there very long because it's, it's just too hot even with my fan going. But it's my favorite place to go because I have a more meaningful devotion time there than I do at my kitchen table. Just, I'm, I'm in the right mood. you got to find that place where you're having the right mood. And I don't care what your demands are of your family or your church. If you're not taking some time with Jesus, you need to quit some stuff. Now, don't quit your family. But you might need to quit some stuff at church. Or in your work. Because if you're working on survival mode, you cannot do your job well. You cannot do your church ministry well. You cannot do your fam family well. That lunch was not the right lunch to eat before <clears throat> trying to talk. Excuse me. It was good, but it wasn't what I needed. Okay. We want to look at the supports that should be under this bridge. If this describes... Your spiritual walk, I'm so glad you're here. Because we're going to try and go back and look at the supports we need to put in so that we will not be just hammering, just making the noise, saying all the right things, saying the prayers, but not really being the leaders that we need to be. All right. To do that, we've got to start with the questions of, you're having a... One-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. Thank you, Keith. 
You can't have a strong spiritual life if you're not talking to Jesus. And if you're not listening to Jesus. And some of us are so busy talking to Him about the things we do, we don't take the time to listen. You've all heard the acrostic of acts in prayer life probably. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. What does that mean? It means special request. It still makes the S work that way if you say special request. In our home, we had a nice little wood carving of that. It's on the kitchen table. Sat there for years. We, when my kids were young, they're, they're grown adults now, but when they were young, we would do morning devotion at the kitchen table. That was always there. My son in the eighth grade was being mentored by a youth intern. He and two other boys would meet, and they would, uh, we'd drop them off at Waffle House, and Scotty would disciple them and then take them to, high, uh, to the middle school at Pay County. One morning, Mike said, Hey, Dad, I want to teach you and your mom something neat. Scotty talked to it. It's the best thing of a formula for prayer. A-C-T-S. And he went right through it and Canada just sitting there. It's been on that table in front of you for years. He never paid attention to it. We've talked about it. We've talked about it as a family. But the key was a guy that had his ear, a youth intern who was, you know, 20 years of age in college had his ear and Micah listened. And his spiritual life made a major step forward. Now I could have got my ego involved in that because I, I bought the little thing that said Axe on it. We've talked about it, but I was dad. Scotty was the cool youth intern. So Micah learned. Sometimes we have to go back to the basics. You can't have a good spiritual life if you don't adore God. If you don't spend time telling him he's good. I've been married 46 years since November. For some reason, my wife, Kay, still expects me to tell her I love her. <laughs> she wants to do that. You know, she wants to hear that. I don't know why. I, I'm a man who makes a decision and stays with it. She wants to know that she is special. She wants to know that I love you. Well, we got more people in the corner here I hadn't met. Hi. You Hi. are? My name is Lottie. Lottie, in what church? Uh, Clarkston International Baptist Church. Clarkston. Somebody, yeah, you're over there. Okay, you got friends over here on this side of the room. And Sam, you came back here. Okay. All right. So we want to talk to Jesus. We want to adore Jesus. I want you to know that you must adore who Jesus Christ is. And you've got to adore Him if you want to have a spiritual, healthy life. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So, let's look at this sheet I've handed out. Everybody got one of these handouts right here? Questions I've always wanted to ask God. That's what being in a spiritual life means. You've got to ask God things that are on your mind. He can talk to you about. And it comes from Luke 8, the last, uh, 8, 8, the last part of verse 8. When Jesus said this, He called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, can you hear if you're talking? No. What do you have to do to hear? Listen. Listen. Mm. So, how do we cultivate... A heart from God, and again, I, I'm a, I'm planning on knee surgery and pretty soon, so that's the reason I sit down. So it's better that than fall down. It really ruins the session when I'm sprawled out here. Uh, so I'll sit down. Uh, step one: cultivate an open heart. Cultivate an open heart. That doesn't mean I'm going to have an open heart to God. That's not cultivating. That's proclaiming. How do you cultivate an open heart? Let's you before you answer, then I want some answers to this. 
if you're going to plant flowers, you don't just walk them out in the pot and set them on the ground, do you? You have to cultivate the soil. You've got to dig a hole. You've got to get it right. You've got to cultivate it before you can plant it. You can't plant God's Word in your mind if you don't cultivate your mind. So when I say, how do you cultivate an open heart? Respond to that. Prepare. Prepare. That's an open question to anyone. <laughs> Praise. Praise. Mindset. Mindset. Thank you. What? Seek God. Seek God. Get rid of sin. Get rid of sin. Well, that comes in confession. Well, no, you got the adoration part, and then you got C. Confession, that's, that's it. It's all, all but, that, but that helps you. It's hard to talk and have a cultivated heart for God if you're living in sin. You know, if you've got bitterness towards your neighbor because their music's too loud or their dogs bark on light and you really wish they would move away. I'm about weeds. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, you got to get the weeds out. got to get the sin out. got to get your bad attitude out about people you work with that irritate you. Or people, huh? I was going to say, I think, I say this a lot of times in my group, so we... I always start out with praises before I ask for prayer requests in our group. I say all the time that we don't spend enough time recognizing what God's already done in us and around us mm -hmm. before we start making requests. So I like to start out with just fresh on my mind, in my heart, God, what have you been doing in my life lately? And right. Recognizing, loving, thanking for it. Um, we often aren't grateful enough, and I think when you start cultivating that grateful attitude, then it helps you move into other things. It does. When I let my wife know that I adore her and love her, she's more attentive to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can tell if, you know, before I walk out the door, if she's quiet, I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> I haven't done something. Oh, I haven't hugged her. I haven't kissed her. I haven't prayed with her because I've got my mindset on getting to the office. I better not go to the office. I need to stop. I need to make sure that I love my wife. I let her know that I love her, and we pray. But even as an ordained minister, I sometimes get caught up in my schedule. And uh, I can. What's taught me is, if Kay is quiet when I'm leaving, there is a problem, and she seems to never be the source of the problem. It seems to be me. And so I've taught myself, okay, step back. Hopefully, she hasn't realized you forgot. But she always has. So, anyway. But uh, she's forgiving and we pray and we hug. And I pray for her day and she prays for my day. Somebody else? Anybody about cultivating an open heart? Any thoughts? What do you need to do? Study. Study. Uh -huh. yeah, well, yeah. What would you say? I think you have to have an earnest desire to hear yeah. from God. Yeah. You've got to ask. You've you got to think God's going to say something. Now, if you just open your Bible and you read five verses, whoop, that's the, gone. Have you let God speak to you out of those five verses yet? No. Mm -mm. And sometimes when we do that, we just go to passages we love. Meaning it's not a passage that's going to convict us. But it may be a passage he, we need to read that's going to convict us. Somebody over here. Yes. Yeah, if we regard iniquity in our heart, God will not hear us. Mm -hmm. So we have to repent of our sins. Yep, we've got to repent. You, that confession is so important. You've got to say, God, I, I blew it. And sometimes you have to be still long enough to think about where you sinned. Certain things I know sin. I know 
when I drive through Atlanta to go visit someone in the hospital, when I get there, I need to pray and confess. <laughs> because I'm not in a pastoral mood to go minister to anybody at the hospital because all these idiots were on I-285. And, Amen. You know, I, I, I thought all sorts of horrible thoughts about these people. And uh, so, you know, you don't need to walk into a hospital room. You know, so you have to sit in the car for a moment. Pray, God, thank you for letting me get here. Let me be in a mindset to minister to who I'm going to go see. I don't know if I'm going ahead of you, but uh, if ever we are to really listen to what he wanted mm. us to hear, then we've got to be willing to pay the cost of whatever he wants us to do. That's right. Listening and paying the cost. Ooh, you, you've hit a good one there, Sam. To do what he's telling you to do. Because sometimes when you're trying to cultivate that open heart, he lays somebody on your mind that you've hurt. And it might be you bring your phone out and you send a text. I have found texting apologies is the really good thing. <laughs> now, it's only good that it lets the person know you're thinking about it, but you've not, you don't engage into another conversation. And I will often just say, hey, you know, today I realize I, or yesterday, I, I was short with you at the office, and, and I'm sorry, I just want you to know I'm, I'm talking to God about that this morning, and, and I'm sorry. That's a text that will connect with that person. Now, when you see them at work, you know, make sure you're a little nicer. That uh, God really worked on you that. But letting people know you've offended, that you're aware of it. And uh, I'm not trying to say, you know, text to avoid talking people, but a text in the morning, you're busy, or through the day, a quick text to say, I I'm sorry, I was short. You know, uh, it just lets people know you're thinking about them. All right, let's go to number two. <clears throat> Allocate time to listen. God doesn't like to chase us, I don't think. I think we're supposed to go to Him. Allocate time to listen. Now, your schedule can be like mine, perhaps, and it gets filled up. I fill my calendar up by the 15-minute section which is really good in calendar planning, but not very good when God wants to talk to you. So if you're one who fills your calendar up, then I urge you to go ahead and mark off time every day through the week. Whatever it is, no, 10 to 10.30, God. That way it's on your calendar. It's an appointment. Someone said, can you talk to me right now? I got an appointment right now. Now, you may not need 30 minutes with God. Oh, he may not want to spend 30 minutes with you. But if you don't put it on your calendar, your calendar will fill up with all these other things. I really started learning that I, years ago in the 80s, I got into daytimers. You know, at one time, I carried the big daytimer calendar and all that before I went to everything on the phone. And uh, I remember one day, I got to work, and I opened my calendar. And I went, who messed up my calendar? Because somebody had put lipstick on and kissed the calendar in three different places. It irritated. At first, I thought it was my daughter. She was fifth grade. And then I went, no, those lips don't look like Carmen's. I'm slow. Kay did that. Why'd she do that? Oh, yeah. We really hadn't focused on each other. I haven't focused on her. She knew I lived by the calendar. She used to kid me. Well, you live by the calendar and you have a Bible. That was convicting. You live by the calendar and you have a Bible. Uh, and do you think that's supposed to be the other way around? Yeah. So it took me a while to get to that. My wife helped me learn that. 
So you have to allocate time to listen to God, which for you depends on your schedule. For me, I, no matter what my meetings are, I'm going to get up 30 minutes earlier to have that time with God. Just to, just to be with Him. And I was at a hotel last night, and I remember when I got up this morning, because it was dark, that's a dark room they had us in uh, at the Holiday Inn uh, Suites, and I, I got up and uh, I headed to the bathroom in the dark. But unfortunately, I headed to the bathroom in my house. Okay? And, and so I ran into this closet door because there's not a closet door but when I get out of my bed and turn left in my house. And I'm like, oh, what was that? And I'm like, oh, I'm in a different place. Um, sometimes we need to realize where we are. So if you're going to allocate time to listen, you've got to be in a place that you can listen. Some people love to listen to God in music. Christian music's good. I like Christian music. I enjoy two or three songs, and I'm, I'm great. But other than that, I'm not a music. My staff gives me a hard time. Bear, you we can have a night of worship. Oh, I'm going to work in the nursery. Okay? I'm just not a big music person. Why? I have no rhythm. Two or three songs, I'm inspired. After that, I'm not. Okay? I'm not a music person. I got a staff that prays for me because they think I'm you know, emotionally challenged over that. Uh, but it, it's not what speaks to me long term. But other people, they love music. And they feel God speaking to them. Oh, that's, that's great. But if you're not, that's okay too. You have to find what works for you. I don't think God speaks to you a lot when you are running 90 miles an hour and you're only thinking about the agenda of your day. He might be trying, but you're not paying attention. Okay. I allocate time to listen. Third, eliminate the distractions. Whew. This is hard, isn't it? To eliminate the distractions. TV. Put your phone on silent. Are, are there any heart surgeons in here? Okay, none of you need to be called on any moment to save someone's life, right? It's okay to put your phone on silent for 15, 20, 30 minutes. Not to take a call. You can get to it later. Don't let people call and interrupt God. Okay? Now, some people are rude anyway. You're in a conversation with somebody at a restaurant, whatever, and phone rings. Oh, excuse me. I'm here. Matter of fact, I was with a, a person that I had taken to lunch to try and help him. And the second phone call that he took at lunch really irritated me because I was buying lunch. <laughs> and so when he finished it, I took his phone. I put it on vibrate, and I put it in my pocket. He said, what are you doing? I said, you wanted this time for me to help you. I'm paying for lunch. I want your undivided attention. Oh, he was shocked. But then he would, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, yeah, you're making everybody that calls important. If, if they're going to solve your problem, go deal with them. And pick up your own tab. Okay. Now, can you tell I'm kind of confrontational? <laughs> it's just this way I am. But um, you've got to protect your time. And if you're going to invest in other people, you've got to in, you know, invest that with them. But you have to look at distractions. I can't have a TV on and have a serious prayer time with God. No, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I'm too much like a dog squirrel, and I get too distracted. You know, I can't, can't do that. I have to have quiet. And music, to me, is not one that is quiet. So I like silence. Just me and God's Word. And that is how God talks to me. And if my wife were here, I'd say, and sometimes he speaks to me through Kay. 
because she has a deep spiritual walk. And when my wife will say, have you thought about so-and-so? I know, I'm, that's God saying, Mary, I've been trying to talk to you, you've been too busy. So I'm speaking to Kay so that you'll pay attention. Make sure you've got some people in your life that can call you on that. All right? Four, cooperate with what God says. Cooperate with what God says. Talk to me about that for a moment. How do you eliminate distractions and how do you cooperate with what God says? That's an open question. Well, eliminating distractions? Yeah, how do you do it? I think that if you cut your sleep a little bit shorter and you get up in the wee hours and things first, how many distractions can you have? Other people in the house still sleep. Your phone shouldn't be ringing at 4.35 o'clock in the morning or nothing like that. So... I feel like, you know, the first thing in the morning would be the best time to give them all. All right. For me, it is. My wife, though, she likes her devotional time at night. In the morning, you know, she, everybody loves my wife. She's a professional counselor. She is wonderful. She's sweet. She's kind. After that first cup of coffee. <laughs> when we first married, I liked to get up and get in the shower and whistle. Uh, she brought me of that in the first week of marriage. <laughs> Did not go over very well. Okay? So I'm a morning person. She's an evening person. She likes to get in, but she doesn't have a 15, 20 minute devotion time. She'll take 45 minutes to an hour and she's into deep study time. And she normally does it after I've gone to bed because uh, she's a night owl. And at 10 o'clock, I don't care what you're saying, these eyes close. We're just wired different. So we have our best conversations midday when we're both, both functioning. Yet. But for her, evenings where God speaks to her. And sometimes I'll get up and there's you know, a piece of paper with two or three notes by my bathroom sink. It's things God spoke to her about. She just wanted to share them with me. She used to wake me up to talk about it. <laughs> that didn't go over very well either. What are you talking about, huh? Why? So she just started making her notes and laying by the sink. So I would know what she was talking about at a time I could mentally learn. Okay? How, how about somebody else? How do you eliminate distractions? Stay focused. Stay focused. And you've got to make it diligent. Someone said, do I have to have a daily time with God? Well, it depends. Do you, how many of you can hold your breath for 24 hours? <laughs> Okay, you can't. So it's probably good to have a daily time with God. If your schedule is just so packed you can't, then at least do it, you know, twice a week where you pull away for a lengthy time. Exercise that spiritual muscle to grow. You'll find time in the rest of the day. It's okay to have a quiet time with God at work. Uh-huh. I mean, you got a break. Work something you can do. You work assembly line. I, the longest job I ever had, I was a high school student and got a job at Custom Cannery. We canned soft drinks. They gave me an important job. They put me in a room about the size of this one, all by myself. I hated it. Cans came in, they clang, 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 clang. Put the liquid in, clang, 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 put the lid on, clang, 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 wash the grease off the outside. I always wondered how about the grease inside the top of that can. I guess the carbonation just heats that up eventually. Clang, 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 out to the mix, the boxing room. So I turned on my nine machines to do that. I put lids in machine every 30, 40 minutes. And if a can fell over, I had a real important job. I had to walk over and stand it up. 
That was the worst job in the world for me. I had no one to talk to all day until the uh, breaks when the supervisor would come in and give me a 15 minute break. So I got in trouble. I would smuggle small books I could put in my back pocket. I can stand and read a book and I can hear the clanging to know if it's fallen over, but that was a no-no. I got called up to the supervisor's office for reading a book. How do you know I'm reading? Well, Barry, we got a camera up in the corner. <laughs> I said, I promise you, I can hear. He said, I know, but we don't want you to be distracted. Well, that pretty well let me know I was not destined to work in an assembly line. But I did have a lot of time to talk to God because they couldn't tell if I was talking to God on that camera or not. So, wherever you do work-wise, you can find something that lets you do. How about uh, cooperate with uh, what God says? What do you do when God's telling you to do something? Do it. Do it. Do it. Oh, those good quick Christians. <laughs> yeah. I think more often we try to find ways not to do it. Yep. We do it our ways. Uh, we are way, way too busy trying to do it our ways. Yeah. And, uh, and that hurts. I want to hear from y'all for just a moment or two here on what do you do in your life to have a good, spiritual, healthy life? Share with the rest of us. Y'all are now the teachers. Well, I am a music person. Okay. So I use music a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Especially driving. That's kind of that's my time. Do you drive to the rhythm and the beat? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's good. I've heard a lot of people say that driving yes. calms them down and lets them worship God because they've got Christian music on. Maybe I should try it. But because I just fuss at people when I drive. Because right. then I talk to him. Okay. It keeps me from fussing at the other people because mm -hmm. I use that time to talk to him. All right. Somebody else. I engage in the things that they have going on at church, whether it be leadership, leadership um, uh -huh. classes, um, groups, just staying involved. All right. I don't get distracted or I go astray. Okay. Yes. I use music too, but. Um, to a certain extent, once I, I'm listening to the music, and then I feel the inspiration from God to turn the music off because He, he wants to speak, mm. and and that is just my time, mm -hmm. and I can hear Him clearly. But I I turn that music mm. on, and it's, it's a mm. specific song. Sometimes I'm really mm -hmm. spirit for specific song, and I have that quiet time. It, it stimulates you. Yes. God gets your attention. He starts talking. Okay, I hear that. Somebody else? I get up and walk. Get up walk? That's good. Walking kind of gets you focused on where you're going. I can see that. Um, one of the things that I do, I'm a night person as well, so I prefer to do my devotions at night. And I'm also a busy person. Um, I commute and I'm, I travel a lot for the work. So when I get up in the morning, one of the first things that I often do are on, I choose a day. And sometimes just to make sure that throughout the day that my heart and mind is in a good place, I often choose scriptures to kind of commit to memory for like the week. So there'll be a specific scripture that just every morning I'll get up, say a prayer, kind of read um, maybe a passage 
for that day and then kind of look at that scripture and then go throughout the day and then that night I will often sit down to do my Bible study. Very good. Somebody else? Yes, ma'am. I'm a crafter. I love crafting. And so a lot of times what I'm doing when I'm crafting, I'm trying to create something. Uh-huh. I like to listen to David Jeremiah. I, 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 I take him every week. Mm-hmm. And so I listen to him when I'm in my craft room. And also when that. I'm cooking, you know, um, even though I'm cooking, I'm still listening either to uh, music, Christian music, or David Jeremiah. It, 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 it seems to make what I'm doing not a drudgery but it just kind of helps me get through yeah. I can see that I love to listen to Dave Jeremiah too we all have favorite preachers we kind of like to do aren't you glad we live in a day where we can listen to radios or podcasts or, and stuff get fed from a lot of great great people doing that Is, does anyone use a particular devotional book every morning to kind of get you, you going no, I, I, I do. It's, uh, it's part of my routine that I, I take outside with me is my Bible and, and, and a devotion. Can I do a devotion together book? We don't read it together because we're wired differently. So I read it in the morning. She reads it at night. Uh, then we'll talk about something maybe from two days ago. We know what this was saying here. Uh, no. And the U version. I like the U version Bible. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I use mine all the time. Yeah. There's so many resources we have. Uh, that can can pop up and tell us things if we'll take advantage of those and listen to those. Um, Spiritual life. Who do you pray for? Who do you pray for? Huh? You pray for yourself, you pray for your spouse, you pray for... I pray for... uh, I pray for my pastor, I pray for our church, lay people... Relatives, and if someone is asking me to pray, get on my prayer list, mention them as well. And I pray for um, people all over the world, yeah. God's people. Yeah, and, and you had it. The first word was that you pray for yourself. You got to get things right with you and God before you really pray for all the other folk, uh, people. Now, what do you pray for yourself? Do you pray for yourself, God? Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Help me do this. Help me do this. Well. Maybe sometimes we should focus the prayer on, God, what am I doing I shouldn't do? What am I doing I shouldn't be doing? What am I eating I shouldn't be eating? Who am I talking to I shouldn't be talking to? Some people can pull you down. And you say, huh? I find that my posture um, during prayer time is Mm -hmm. so important. when I was in seminary, we had a professor challenge us to pray with your palms open. And just that posture of surrender reminds us that we're not in control. We, we try to be, especially if you're a leader. Yeah. You know, we, we have we know the way that everybody should do it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but God asks us to surrender to what he's telling That's, us. I, I agree. Uh, for years, I was a big kneeler. And then I developed these arthritic knees. So I can kneel now, but... Only if two of you guys are going to get me up. Because uh, uh, yeah, I can't do that. Uh, but as a young man, about 23, I was doing a youth re- a revival down at uh, 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 Sisters Baptist Church uh, in central Georgia. And the pastor was Lafayette McCullough. And Lafayette had polio as a boy. And uh, so he had, he had trouble walking. 
because of that and had braces. And he couldn't kneel. But uh, we had this revival, and we, were, we started it on Wednesday night, and we finished it on Sunday evening. So uh, we, we got there Wednesday, and he said, well, we'll have prayer time. We were in the office, and the guy that was leading the music, and they brought in, and the, youth, uh, the music minister and the youth minister were there. And Lafayette goes and grabs the sofa, and he lays down flat. I thought, that was interesting. And he stretches up his arms and says, well, y'all can get whatever position you're in, but I can't kneel. So I lay down and hold my hands to Jesus. I thought, oh, he's a tribe, Barry. I've never done that. So I lay down in his office. That was good. Ten minutes into it, my arms were getting stiff, you know, tired. And then I looked over and realized that he brought his arms down. See, I was trying to keep mine up. I didn't know they had to stay up all the time. But he was smart enough to know he got to work with the circulation. But before every service... We would have this lying down time in his office to pray. It was such a different experience for me. And I must say, my preaching was better that time than most. Because I was in a new relationship with God just by getting in a different physical posture. And oftentimes, since my knees started messing up on me a couple of years ago, I found myself lying down. But i got to make sure I'm close to something to pull myself up. Uh, with and it, it's it has a lot to do with what you're you're doing. Some people like to praise God with uplifted hands, and that's fine. Whatever posture helps you get closer to God, that's a good thing to do. That was a good one to bring up. When we are praying and we're praying, God, what are you teaching me? And what am I doing? You want me to stop doing? Are you pray, God? Life's pretty good. So something I need to barely be working on. If it is, then go for it. But I think we should also pray about the people God wants us to invest with. Maybe there are people that God wants you to stop investing in. You've only got 24 hours in your day. Who does he want you to invest in? Well, everybody. Well, you can't do everybody. You can only do so many a day. And we need to ask God, who do I want to invest in? Because there are some people that will just drain you. You know, there's the there's a uh, old leadership conference uh, principle that John Maxwell first was the first one I heard articulate. It's called the Pareto principle. It was created by a Greek philosopher years ago. The Pareto principle says, scale one to ten, that one level leaders are only going to be able to lead one level leaders. Five level leaders can lead anyone that's five, four, three, two, or one. Eight level leaders can lead eight, seven, five, six, three, no, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Ten level leaders can lead everybody. Probably only about 5% of the population are five level, are ten level leaders, naturally. But you can work on developing leaders. If you're a seven leader, you can work on growing to become an eight, maybe a nine level leader to lead other people. And in the Pareto principle, when Max was talking, he's only talking about leadership. How you identify who you really are, look at who you can influence, and look at how you can move up a notch or two to be able to lead others. Now, part of the principle of this situation is if you are a seven and you're trying to lead nine and tens, they won't stay with you very long because leadership never submits itself to inferior leadership over a long haul. So you may have some great nine and ten little leaders in your church and they're giving all their time to other organizations because they can lead great things and you've got them handing bulletins out. 
You got to challenge great leaders to do great things, or they're going to give their leadership somewhere else. Well, I want to take the Pareto principle in a little different direction for a second. Let's take the Pareto principle into our prayer life. The one, two, three, fours level leaders will always take more from you than they're going to give your organization. They just have needs. Some of them are addicted to needs, being needy. They just drain you. And the full Pareto principle, he's always, Max was always talking about the, the top level. How do you move up? And he talks about what seven, eight, nine, ten level leaders, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten level leaders bring to an organization. And he says, going back to Pareto's original philosophy, that your eight, nine, and ten level leaders will do 80% of the work in your organization. They'll give 80% of the money. That was Prado's original philosophy. Years later, I started reading Prado's philosophy more, and I realized something else he had that Maxwell was not pointing out because his book was on leadership. But what do the one, two, and three, four level leaders do? Well, your one, two, and three level leaders provide your organization 80% of the needs, 80% of the whining, 80% of the griping, 80% of the complaining. Whoa! <laughs> You're eating up with all that. If you're a Bible study leader of a class or you're a pastor and you focus all your time on those one, two, three level leaders, they will drain you of everything you've got. And they will drain your spiritual life because they've always got a prayer request that's very involved. They don't really seem to know how to pray for themselves. I think you've got an inside connection with God. Well, you need to help those people learn to pray for themselves. You are not a holy priest. We as Baptists, we kind of believe in the priesthood of the believer. All of us can talk to God, you know. But leaders in the church, lay leaders and church uh, pastors, have so much of their time eaten up by people that are not contributing to the organization. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong and say, well, you don't care about those people. No, I do. But if you're a good leader, then you help your other people in your group that are 7, 8, 9, 10 level leaders. To help deal with some of these one, two, three, four level leaders that are draining all the time and energy. Because they will eat up all your time and you don't develop leaders in the top portion that you need to be leading. They will eat up all your time so you don't have time to pray about growth. You don't have time to pray about the lost. You don't have time to take care of your family and your needs because you're trying to take care of their needs. It requires balance. I'm not saying you ignore those people, but you don't let them eat up all of your spiritual lifetime. Because you're never going to meet all the needs of someone that's a one, two, or three level leader. Their needs are too many. Sometimes it's because they're not responsible enough to do it themselves. They don't want to take responsibility. I can't get a job. Well, have you applied? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can't give you a job either. Our economy right now has the lowest unemployment ever. There are jobs out there. Get off your butt. Go get a job. I'm not very compassionate. Can you pick up on that? <laughs> I think. But we, we, you know, we, in the church, we've gotten into just cuddling these people and saying, oh, oh that's okay. Well, I'm going to pray you get one. It's not your job to get them a job. It's your job to motivate them, maybe encourage them. Well, here's one you can go to. I had a guy in my church. He would say, I can get a job. Nobody wants to hire me. Well, I want to say, well, it's because you're rude and irritating. 
knew, knew that wouldn't motivate him more. I said, well, what kind of job? I want to be a manager. I said, well, let's see. Do you pay your bills on time? No, I don't know. Do you keep your house, your apartment clean? When you show up to church, your clothes are always wadded up and, and stuff. Do you, do you ever iron? No, I just wash them dry. So do you take them out of the dryer when it's still warm? No. Well, that's how they get wrinkled. And I said, Edwin, you got to take your clothes out of the dryer, hang them up. You don't have to iron them necessarily then. But look neat. Well, I'm so busy. You don't have a job. What do you mean you're too busy? <laughs> Professional counselor friend of mine says that, Barry, your pastoral counseling is like the paramedic uh, coming out at the wreck, you know. Uh, patch them up, <laughs> stop the bleeding, and send them off. And uh, that's, that, I guess that is my approach. But Edwin would eat up, eat up an hour or two of my day if I'd let him. I cannot. So I have to say no. A good spiritual leader knows when to say no. And here's what happens. The church demands, your work demands at your job, your family demands for you know, kids to do this, whatever. Uh, they'll, they'll, it'll all take up more time than you have. So if you let these people, they're just whiners and gripers and complainers, they start, well, where's the time coming from? You can't take it from work, you can't take it from family, so you start taking it out of your spiritual life. You think you're sacrificing. No! You're not sacrificing, you're just not managing well. You've got to protect your spiritual time. You've got to say a very difficult word. I want you to practice it. Say it after me. No. No. Chuck Swindoll says that um, learning, uh, the most important thing you can do is learn to say no kindly. Yes. Yes, that's, that's correct. Being able to say no. Um, Years ago, I was convicted of how often I could, was being short with people on the... So, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. Because I was the executive pastor of a fast-growing large church. I mean, my day was people wanting money, wanting time, wanting something. Want me to fix something. And, and it would just overwhelm me at times. And I realized, okay, sometimes the way I need to say no is, that's an interesting idea. How would you go about getting that solved? Because see, I've let people put the monkey on my back. You ever heard this old illustration from a, a corporate setting? Monkey on your back. You know, you got everything going. You go to the coffee machine. There's somebody in there, and they got a monkey sitting on their shoulder. They talk to you about it. They leave the coffee room. The monkey's on your shoulder. Huh? You go to your office. There's two more people there. They got monkeys. They leave them in your office. So it's five o'clock. You look out the window. Everybody's going home. You got ten monkeys in your office. Because those monkeys would jump on your back. Oh, was that revealing to me. That helped me so much in the 80s to realize, okay, I don't need to take on all their monkeys. I need to protect my spiritual walk and my time. So I say, what is what are you to do? How do you think you ought to handle this? Or I'll say, that's an interesting idea. Come up with two or three ways you think we could do it and let's talk tomorrow or next week. Give them an assignment. Sometimes God does amazing things when you get out of his way. When the New Hope Church started the, uh, became one church in two locations, and that was in the early 90s. We were one of the first churches that tried the multi-campus stuff. And we didn't have a plan. We didn't do a long-range committee. It kind of fell on us quickly, and we were running 90 miles an hour trying to catch up with what God was doing. 
And uh, it was funny, Nam would ask us to go do these seminars. <laughs> I can't tell the planning. We don't have a plan. We're just working, you know, as fast as we could go uh, with it. But we, act, we took over the Stars Mill Baptist Church. And they, they're building a whole about 120. They got down to about 20 people. Within six months, we were filling up their building and uh, we, we needed new space. Well, the Stars Mill High School had just been built. Stars Mill High School, Rising Star Middle School, they share a common auditorium and a common kitchen. And so, you know, it's a good system. And it was just opening. So, we'll use that auditorium. And I go and meet with the principal. It's a nice lady. She's got a brand new building. She did not want a church in her building on Sunday. She had everything in the world she could deal with. And so her quick answer was, no, I'm afraid not. We're, we're just not ready for that. I said, okay, I fully understand. Has the county met all your needs for this facility? <laughs> she thought that was really funny. You know, county's always cut budgets. So I said, what are some needs that we could help with? Well, I don't know. I said, well, I, I noticed when I walked by the auditorium, uh, you don't have any chairs. No, we don't have a sound system either. It all got cut. Got a big room and can't do anything in it. I said, well, what if we bought plastic folding chairs and we bought a sound system and we installed the sound system in the auditorium. And we let y'all use it during the weekend. You could use our plastic folding chairs. Boy, did that change her attitude. <laughs> she thought that was wonderful. I said, now, well, our guys will train your students to operate the sound system. Oh, so I thought I'd done something really neat. And it was. Except when you're sitting in a plastic folding chair on a floor that slopes, you're just always sliding out. So uh, it was a little challenging to have service. But we kept growing. Uh, she also told me, she said, well, the county put a, you know, a nice dock behind the auditorium for unloading, but they didn't pave the little drive to get to it, so it's a mud hole. I said, I think I can get it cemented. So we, that was our investment. It was some money, but we got this great facility to be able to use. And Starsville Church just was, uh, our south campus that had been Starsville Church that was now called New Hope South was booming because we had that. Well, our worship leaders at that time for that campus were Joe and Kim Stanley, their music evangelist. And Joe said, hey, Barry, I got an idea. Willie Duke, who was chairman of our missions team when we started all this, had died of cancer. And before that, he had, he had retired as a vice president at uh, Georgia Pacific. He said, why did we contact Georgia Pacific and see if they'd like to donate money in Willie's honor to put theater seats so we weren't sliding out on the floor? And I went, now, I'm going, okay, Willie's been retired three years. He's been dead for a year. Georgia Pacific has long ago forgot who he was. But I didn't want to tell Joe how dumb an idea that was because nobody was going to do that. So I said, well, Joe, that's interesting. Why don't you write a letter and we'll send it to Georgia Pacific? He said, well, we edit it. I said, you write it. I'll, I'll be glad to look at it. I'll even co-sign it for you if you want to. We'll put it on your stationery. So we did, and we sent that letter. About a month later, I get this other letter back. They're willing to spend $62,000 oh to put theater seats in this auditorium if they will name the auditorium the Willie Duke Auditorium and put a portrait of him in the lobby. Wow. What if I had told Joe no? <laughs> Joe had the idea. I didn't. I thought it was a dumb thing to ask. But just put it on him. All Joe really needed was the empowerment to go ahead. He did all the work. I literally, all I did was read the letter that came back to us. Then I had to get involved with the school board. That's another issue. You know, you would think school boards would be excited to get $62,000 given to them. <laughs> politics, politics. Uh, so, uh, you know, we go to a meeting. I hand out 
all the board members, a little piece of paper. Here's what Georgia Pacific will do, what they want, it's just a name. And, and school board members, I can tell, start, well, we haven't considered that. We don't know if we want to name a building or not. And we're not sure. So I just went up there. I'll take yours back from you. I'll take yours from you. All I was doing is taking the paste paper out. I just took it off. They said, what are you doing? I said, y'all are not ready to deal with this subject. So I'm going to take it back so you can't table it because it's no longer on your agenda, but I'll be back next month. And me and 300 of my best friends showed up. <laughs> we packed the place out. School board got really alert to all that many people. And it passed in about five minutes. That was really my only involvement with it. Now, how does that help the spiritual walk? God was speaking to Joe Stanley about a need. He wasn't speaking to Barry. Barry's role was to encourage Joe not to get in the way and stop Joe. And then Barry's job was when we were offered this gift to try and educate the school board. I knew I could not argue with them that night and win, but I knew 300 people in the building the next time would get their attention. I mean, what are they going to tell? No, we don't want $62,000 as a free gift, no. It was wonderful, and it was all great. And they had it. And then the church still outgrew all that, and they built their own building, and, but the auditorium is still there with all those seats. We as spiritual leaders need to know when it's time to encourage someone, when we give them the responsibility. But if we don't have the right spiritual life ourselves, we're not going to do that. See, Barry's first inclination would have just been to tell Joe, ah, they're not going to do that, Joe. Willie's been gone too long. They're busy. Ah. And forgot it. But because Barry had a decent spiritual life at that time, I had enough discernment not to do that. I had enough discernment to say, Joe, well, why don't you write a letter and let's see? Because that's not the way Barry thinks. Barry thinks, no. So, having your life right has a rippling effect. I'm just giving that illustration. So if I had done Barry's way of thinking, none of that would have happened. I can only be as discerning and considered a wise spiritual leader if I take the time to make sure my life is right. I've been blessed to be a part of some marvelous things far beyond my abilities. But I've been able to be an encourager and sometimes a conduit of information because my spiritual life was connected. I've had opportunities where I knew somebody wanted to make a church change in their career. And praying one day, I might think, well, this church over here, they've got that need. So I might call that pastor and say, I understand you're looking for a youth pastor. And I happen to know this guy. I think you do a really good job. Here's his number. It's up to you. That's all I do. Two months later, they hire him as youth pastor. Now, see, that wouldn't have happened because Barry wanted to do it. That would happen because God spoke to Barry in his spiritual life, saying, hey, you need to help connect these two. God can only give you discernment to other people if your spiritual life is right. If you're getting alone with God. Now, I will not let my ego get in check to, to say, oh, Barry's done this. Barry's done nothing. I get very humbled when, like, the little bio that 
Keith was reading, yes, I've been a trustee. I didn't campaign for that. I was just loved Trump McConnell and I got nominated by the committee saying, would you be willing, because you love the school, to be a trustee? Oh, great. Back then, I didn't know the work a trustee does <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and how much time investment that was. But I was thrilled to give it. I got to do some good things. When they, first time they elected me as chairman, I, oh, I'm not worthy of being chairman of this group. I mean, whoa, no. It made me pray more. God can do amazing things through you if you have the right spiritual walk. All right? Now, I was a decent student in college and seminary, but I wasn't a you know, great academic. I loved hearing Dr. Drew today talk about how bad he was in school. I, I, well, I'm, I didn't flunk any, so I'm ahead of you. So I, I left the room feeling superior. No, I'm not. <laughs> but you've got to look at your life. It's got to be right, or God can't do those great things. You've got to have the spiritual life so that when there's a need that God says, somebody in your class or somebody in your church, they're hurting. And you've got the spiritual maturity to realize, I need to make that phone call. I need to do it today. I practice, if, if a name comes to my mind of somebody I know twice in a day, I call them. Because I feel that's God saying, Barry, this person I want you to talk to. So I'm going to call them. If I get their voicemail, it's, hey, just hedge on my mind today once I'm praying for you. Well, that affirms them. I had a friend who was opening his very first veterinary clinic. He'd worked for others and he'd put all his money in it. They were in debt up to their ears, but they were so excited about opening this first clinic. So I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a big note writer. And I said, no, Robbie, praying for you as you get started. Barry mailed it to him. So three days later, he opens his clinic. One of his first customers, an elderly lady, came in with her German Shepherd. Older dog. Just get his shots. Simple. Dog's older. Dog goes in cardiac arrest. Robbie's thinking, I'm going to kill my first patient. <laughs> you know, he's you know, do, doing all sorts of stuff, reviving that dog. The lady's hysterical. Uh, and he's going, this is not good. He, he revives the dog. He's, he just let the dog stay. I want to monitor it. The lady wasn't sure she wanted to do that. But he said, you know, this was an old dog and just had a negative reaction to the natural shots it's supposed to get. But it survived. So it was a happy ending with that. But he said when he finished, you know, that and the lady had left, he said, looked down, he said, my shirt was just soaking wet. And I'd worn a light blue shirt. And I thought, I didn't bring his change. So he goes in to call his wife, said, can you bring another shirt up? I look a wreck, you know. And uh, uh, while he's talking to her, the mail had come. And there was this, he recognized my unusual sloppy handwriting uh, on the envelope. And he opened it, got that note. He calls me and he said, Barry, you won't believe what just happened. You know, I almost killed my first patient. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm, I've called Stacy to bring me change the shirt, and I'm blinking. I have gone, put my family in debt. I'm going to go under. I should have never become a, vet, a veterinarian. You know, I've got all these veterinarian bills, and I shouldn't have done this. I was feeling so discouraged. My first day, and there's just a note of encouragement. He said it changed everything. Now, what if I had not been discerning three days before to write a note? I wish I could say, oh, I have a crystal ball and I know who needs to be encouraged. I don't. I don't. 
But if we are sensitive to God in our prayer life, he will bring to our mind who we need to spend the time with. He will also, to go back to what I was saying a while ago, tell you who you do not need to spend time with. I'm not saying neglect those that are needy, but don't let the needy control your life. The needy do not go away. Are you aware of that? They're there. We will always have those in need. Our culture does a lousy job of helping the most ex- the most extremely hurting people. We supposedly are doing better, but we're not. We, we wouldn't have the homeless situation. L.A. wouldn't be about to become a cesspool for all that's going on because they're not dealing with the problem. Our culture doesn't seem to know how to deal with the co- with these problems. It's overwhelming to our culture. Church is going to have to find a way to step in and help some of that. And we're going to have to do it one-on-one. You can't fill all the homeless needs in Atlanta. Maybe I'll just your class or your church is to deal with one. Just one. Yes, ma'am. Um, me and my children were in a bit of a homeless situation after domestic violence. And I tell you, the um, program that I was in, it really helped to get these goodie bags. Uh-huh. And they had a word of encouragement in there. And that really was taking a mile. And we definitely put a smile on our face. Like before we left out in the morning, they would hand us two goodie bags full of snacks. Mm-hmm. They don't know when we're going out if we're going to eat. You know what I'm saying? So they put all the stuff in there. I cried. Volunteers, and then they had a message, a word. Every time it was a different word, they came from different volunteers, different churches, or like that. I hear this. Our church sponsors. We have a lot of churches that help. It's called the Lifeline. It's the largest food distribution center in West Georgia for people, and it's available Tuesday and Thursday mornings. And it's all run by volunteers, and it's food. And we're we're tied in with the Atlanta Food Bank because we can buy so much cheaper. So there's lots of paperwork anytime you do something with the government. But uh, it, it's all done by volunteers. But there's, there's those notes that are put in everything that they go. And we constantly get comments from people, you know, what that meant. We also do a clothes closet, and it was getting a little thin, so the leader said, we need clothes. And so we talked about it, and staff said, well, that's just on the last Sunday of July. We'll tell everybody two weeks ahead of time. You know, if you got clothes to donate, you clean out your closet for kids, whatever, I'll put them in clean. Don't, <laughs> our pastor, don't you bring any dirty clothes up here. And uh, clean clothes, put them in bags. When you get here, just lay the bags behind your car, and our security team will pick it up. The lifeline clothes people said, don't ever do that to us again. Uh, we had to go and rent a storage building <laughs> because we overwhelmed their stuff. And uh, so we said, okay, we got to figure out how to monitor. Our people responded well. We just were not ready. So we had to uh, make some other uh, efforts there. But you do what you can do to help. You can get overwhelmed listening to the news. Oh, I can't deal with all this. You're not too. Your class can do one thing. Your church can do one thing. Pick somebody and concentrate to make a real help. How do you decide who that is? You have to have the right spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Now, the other part I want to get into with the spiritual life is who's holding you accountable for your spiritual life? Who says, how much time do you talk to God lately? Well, no one does. You know, I'm the pastor. King David was a man after God's own heart, but he kind of goofed up pretty bad, didn't he? Now, when did he goof up? When he sent all his accountability partners off to war and he stayed in the palace and got bored and started lusting, had an affair, commits murder, all this stuff because he did not have his accountability team around him. Jesus never sent the disciples out alone. They were always in twos or threes. Always some accountability there. 
There's only one reference in the scripture to a disciple leaving the group by himself. Judas. Judas. You need an accountability part. I don't mean a yes man or a yes woman that just loves you and thinks you're wonderful. They are not good accountability people. They're great when you feel depressed because they're going to lift you up. No, you need an accountability person who will look you in the eye on a regular basis and say, Mike, what's your spiritual life really like? How much time have you been in free? Now, I have a group of men in my life, and I say, hey, anytime you can ask for my calendar, anytime you can ask for my checkbook, anytime you can ask me, how much time have I spent with Jesus? And I want you to do it. And none of them are yes men. They are all very mean individuals. <laughs> they love me, but boy, are they, you know, you ask somebody to be accountability partner, it's tough. I had a young man at a church in Alabama. He said, Mary, I, I'm trying to get off pot. I'm, I'm really trying to stop that. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my wife. She said, I can't do this anymore. He said, I want you to be, hold me accountable. I went, well, Jonathan, I'll do that. But here's how it's going to work. I can call you any day of the week on your way home and say, go by the drugstore and bring a kit. Come into the office. We'll walk down to the bathroom. You'll pee in the cup, and we'll see how things go. Mm -hmm. <gasps> oh, I don't do that. No, you asked me to be your accountability partner. You can come in my office. You may be able to fake it to let me think you're not high. Yeah. But that pee in the cup, not one of that. Whoa. My son, remember that, my son owns three businesses in Florida. Uh, they all have to do with water. One is Guffin Bay Divers. 28 divers work for him, and they do 800 to 900 boats a month. Any kind of repair, maintenance, underwater for yacht sailboats, fishing boats. Sounds really cool, but it's hard work. And uh, when he hires people, I was down one year, and he said, Dad, I'm interviewing some guys. You want to come watch? I went, sure. So I have to fill out stuff, and they already have to be certified divers because he doesn't have time to teach people how to dive. And uh, he'll say, uh, now, here are my rules. You lie to me, you're fired. You steal from me, you're fired. You don't show up from work, you're fired. I'm a gracious person. I'm a Christian. I want to be gracious. I want to give you a warning. I just gave it. <laughs> you understand? No violation of these things, you're fired. Because uh, it's a pretty rough group of people that do this kind of work. And they say, okay. And he says, now, uh, you want to continue? Yeah. Good, I want you to get in the water, swim out about 20 feet into the marina, where they're now in 15, 20 feet of dock, uh, water, and he does the rest of the interview from the dock while he asks them questions and they tread water. And he'll have them tread water 15, 20 minutes. I'm going, I don't understand. He said, Dad, I remember what you did with your friend uh, at the church. And uh, he said, uh, I got to find out if they're a smoker or not, because if they're a smoker or they're a heavy drinker, they can't do this work. Because they're a smoker about every 15, 20 minutes. They want to come out from the water. they got to take off that oxygen tank or you kind of blow things up. And uh, I lose 15 minutes of work out of them. So I can't have someone that's in bad shape. See, if they can't dive and work, I don't need them. Wow, I'm glad I don't want to work for you. Uh, but the other part is, he says, now, nah, he, you know, he drives a, a pickup and he's got a case in the back and it's just filled with cups, rolling, you know, urine cups. He says, any day, if I'm suspicious, I go to the marinas where my guys are working. I walk up, I'll hand them a cup, I'll say, open the truck door, fill it up. We set it on the hood of the truck. If they're on drugs, they're fired. I went, Micah, that's tough. He said, a guy on pot 
can get others killed in the water. I'd rather fire him there than have to bury him three days later. Oh, accountability. I said, has there been much of an issue? He said, I only had to fire two that way. Word traveled after that. <laughs> wow. Now that's true accountability. Well, we need that kind of accountability in our spiritual lives. We need someone who will say to us regularly, what, what scripture are you reading? Well, I'm into the Word. Uh, which? Chapter? Book? <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned? Oh, uh, well, well, that's the kind of accountability department you need. Now, your spouse can be one of those, but just one of those. You need someone that has no personal investment in the situation. Okay? Someone that will be honest, someone you know cares, but that they're going to hold you accountable. Now, it has to be men to men and women to women unless it's a spouse. You do not need to be the accountability for someone of the opposite gender. Okay? And our culture's got that whole thing all screwed up too. They don't know what's going on. I don't know, but I do know what the Bible says. I'm sorry it says very clearly. Leviticus. Man's not to sleep with another man. Period. There's no room to misinterpret that. So I'm sorry our culture's not doing that right. It's not biblical with it. But I do believe the accountability partner needs to be a man-to-man and a woman-to-woman. Now, before any of you go out here and think, oh, man, he's homophobic. No, I actually have four gay friends that I'm, uh, I'm working with. Uh, two of them are friends of my son who are uh, into sailing. And the other year, when going down, they wanted to meet with, they said, Micah told them we were coming, said, we want to take your parents to the uh, St. Petersburg Yacht Club. And Mike said, why? He said, I've never met a Baptist minister before. <laughs> He's from England. I'm like, oh, okay. So we, had this, we start the dinner. Mike calls on me to pray. I finish the prayer. And when I do it, Marty's, you think God hurt you? <laughs> I went, yeah, I think he hurt me. I talk to him all the time. He speaks to me. How do you know he speaks to you? Well, he wrote me a love letter. God wrote you a love letter. I just started quoting 1 Corinthians 13. He didn't know. He didn't ever had a Bible. He didn't know what anything was. <laughs> I said, love, he said, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I wish God write me a love letter. I said, well, it's for people who believe in him. It's actually in the Bible. I don't have a Bible, Mike. said, you'll have one in the morning. Okay. Well, he was fascinated by that. And we had a delightful dinner. And the next day, Michael was going to take a sailing on his boat. And, uh, and uh, Mark said, well, y'all go with us. Mike said, no, we'll go to church first. Then we're going to sail in the afternoon. He went, well, come on my boat. It's bigger than Micah's. And he said, Micah, you and Courtney and, and, and Danny, y'all sail, and I'm going to be a tourist with your mom and dad. For four hours, he drilled me on questions. We on the sailboat, you're in a trapped situation. <laughs> but it was grand. We had a wonderful time. He's asking all sorts of questions because a man knows nothing about God's Word. And he was fascinated. Fascinated. We left. Kay wrote a note. We're big note writers, so... You know, thanking them for the cruise. He tells Micah, your mom and dad wrote me a personal note. We put it in our scrapbook. Micah said, your scrapbook? <laughs> he said, yes. And he showed him, he, he said, they got about a dozen of these scrapbooks of different things there. And there's your mom's note. Well, he was interested in what I'm doing then. So he and I are now corresponding by phone. Lots of questions. We went down in June for 10 days. He flew back in town just to have a dinner with me. 
Yeah. We're still working through all those things. A lot of things to work through. But if I was not spiritually discerning, but I want to hang around with these two guys. Everything they do, I don't like. But Jesus sat down with people and ate with them. Now, if you're in one of my sessions yesterday, you heard me say something has to go in with this one. When I was in seminary, I was convicted of the fact that I did not... Well, I was convicted of the fact that I had hate in my heart. I hated my dad. Because my dad was an abusive alcoholic. And I removed his front teeth for the two before when I was 12 because he was trying to kill my mom and me. And there was a lot of violence. Guns were shot at. It was, so it was just not a good situation. And uh, so I'm in seminary. I hadn't seen my dad in a couple of years. And uh, I took marriage and family counseling class with Dr. John Drakeford. And then I took the Book of John class, which is all about God's love. But one day in the Book of John class, I was kind of daydreaming. And I was daydreaming of driving over my dad with a pickup truck and backing up and driving over again and backing up and driving over again. Now, now I'm already an ordained youth pastor, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with issues. And uh, I thought, this is sick. So I went back to Dr. Drakeford's office and happened to catch him and say, something you said this morning, here's what I was just doing, and I only got all fits. And he went, well, let's sit down and talk. He was from Australia, loved his accent. He said, let's talk every week. I didn't realize he was putting me in counseling. <laughs> uh, and he saw me for several months. Sometime later, he showed me an article and said, I thought you might like to read this. I was so glad he changed the name, but it was all about me <laughs> and how you deal with dysfunctional people from dysfunctional backgrounds and help them forgive. And it was based off my story. But he started seeing me in October. As Christmas was approaching, it's my second year in seminary. He said, are you and your wife going back to Georgia? Yes, we didn't get to go last year. We didn't have the money. So we've not been home in 18 months. We're really eager to see everybody. Will you see your dad? No, I hope not. He went, well, I want you to see your dad. Oh, no. I'm not going to ruin my Christmas. No, I want you to see your dad. I want you to look him in the eye. And I want you to tell him you love him. No way. I'm an ordained minister. I'm not going to lie. I felt so self-righteous. He went, Barry, and this changed my whole life. And it will change your spiritual life. If you make application to yourself. Sometimes you have to act yourself into a feeling because before you can act yourself into a feeling. Uh, me. Sometimes you have to act yourself into a feeling before you can feel yourself into an action. Act yourself into a feeling before you can feel yourself into an action. He said, God's going to call you to love people in the church that you don't like. Boy, was he right with that. <laughs> Some people just get on your nerves. <laughs> you know? They gripe about the weirdest thing. But you got to love them. I said, Dr. Draper, I don't think I can do that. He said, well... You're going to, because next semester, when you get back in January, I'm going to look you in the eye, and I'm going to ask you if you did it. And if you didn't, you have failed my next class. I said, you can't do that. He said, I'm a tenured professor. I can do what I want. So I had motivation and accountability coming. So we got home that Christmas. I found out my dad was going to be at my Aunt Jeanette's house with some of his siblings, and I went, tense. Oh, I didn't want to be there. I got him locked in a bad back bedroom and said, Dad, just want you to know, I love you. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it at all. I thought I was going to throw up just to get the words out of my mouth. I was only doing it because Dr. Drake told me I had to do it. And my dad's response was nothing. He said not a word. But in his eyes, it hurt him so badly. Because he knew 
he did not deserve love. That wrapped up that conversation. But I had a new weapon. I went back. I'd call him from Texas every week. Hey, Dad, just want you to know I love you. <clears throat> I didn't love him. I was just trying to hurt him some more. So about three weeks into January, I mentioned to Dr. Drakeford that I was calling him. He went, really? Well, that's good. Oh, it makes me feel so good. I just know it hurts him on the phone. I just, I wish I could see it. And Dr. Drake, at that time, Dr. Drakeford was a man that I had the most respect for in the world. Suddenly he's going, oh. And I wasn't sure. In my spiritual state, I didn't understand that I had really done something wrong and that this man was so disappointed in me. But I knew something wasn't right. And he said, well, after a long pause, he said, Bear, I want you to keep calling your dad and tell him you love him. But I'm going to ask you to do two things. I said, what are those? Before you dial the number, pray for your dad. Don't pray for anybody else, just pray for your dad. And after you hang up, this was before cell phones, you actually had to hang the phone up. Pray for your dad before you walk away from the phone. Well, I guess I do that. Oh, yeah, you're an ordained minister. Surely you can pray. Oh, okay. Now he's using my words against me. Well, here's the thing. It only took about two weeks, maybe third of the week, of calling but praying, calling, telling him I loved him, praying again. And the Holy Spirit just keeps woofing through and washed away a lifetime. I'm 25 years old at this time. And it washed away all that hatred and bitterness that had been planted into my life since child. I couldn't be in ministry today if I hadn't been purified of that sin, hate. I wouldn't be in ministry. Don't think my marriage would have survived. Dr. Drakeford was the tool that God used to do spiritual emotional surgery on my life. That's when I really realized the importance of my spiritual walk. Everything changed for me in my walk with Jesus since, since then. I don't know what you're kidding around. I've been very open and transparent about the garbage I carry. You know? And I only do that because I realize others are struggling too. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Protect that time with God. At all costs, protect that time. And when He tells you something, then do it. How many of you have a spiritual accountability partner in your life right now? Good. The rest of you, you have till next Sunday. <laughs> you have to set your own date. But if three months from now you don't have a spiritual accountability partner, why did you waste your time in this class? The application is get a spiritual accountability partner. If you want a good book to read with a spiritual accountability partner, John Maxwell's book, Prayer Partners. He'll teach you a lot about holding one another accountable. Yes, ma'am. Did, did you mention um, that there was a, a book that... Um, Maxwell was using with you. You said something about Prado principle. Oh, the Prado. It's in a lot of John Maxwell's stuff. It's oh, just an illustration that, in a lot no, of the, the stuff. The one on. that um, the, the gentleman was using to help you um, relieve yourself of the hatred that you had for your father. No, that's a psychological Christian. Psych that's that's just psychological uh, philosophy of helping people. It's not in a book. Doctor Drakeford used in his his counseling. Now. Did I talk about the shift conference here? No. Okay. Shift conference is, uh, if you'll hand out one of those. This is being done at Midway Church. 
The theme is how you shift your church. If it's kind of stuck, you shift it in gear. Sometimes you have to kick butt and move forward. <coughs> Don't you like the way that I'm not very theological? Yeah. Uh, New Hope Bab- uh, uh, Midway Church is 170 years old. 13 years ago, they were just a traditional church growing, but not reaching the unchurched. They were just growing off reaching other Christians. And they said, we want to reach the unchurched. So we made some major changes. And we are a cross-cultural church that's today, well, I'm, I'm overly dressed. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's come as you are. And uh, we tattoo everybody. We, we are cross-cultural. We're interracial. We've probably got 40 interracial families in our church. They feel accepted there. They said this is a loving place. That's all who we are. But that conference, we've got Dr. Tom Rayner as a keynote speaker, Dr. Tim Elmore, and then our pastor, uh, Todd Wright. And... Uh, the reason I'm talking about it, there's a, comp, uh, there's a display table up in the fellowship hall if you want to go by. But you see on either board, I've got written a code. If you'll write that in the gold part of your card, when you register online, you get 10% off. Now, some of you might say, well, that's kind of an expensive conference. That is not a cooperative program conference. Midway Church is putting this together. Okay. Now, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board is endorsing with us. They're going to actually provide everybody a lunch. Uh, but that code will give you 10% off. Okay. So uh, that's my only personal com- uh, 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 commercial. There is, uh, some people say, well, two, two last things and I'll let you get out of the room. Some will say, I want to reach you. How do I call you? You, uh, you uh, pick up one of my cards here. My cards are tent cards. They sit up like this. The whole reason for that is in the hospital, if I drive, I want them to know I was there. I don't want to lay a flat card that they can't see. You know, I want them there. If they're asleep, I've been known to shake the bed if I've ridden an hour and a half to come visit them. <laughs> I want to pray with them. So you can pick up one of those cards. The other thing is, uh, this has nothing to do with this conference, but I like it well. This is how we do all our life groups at our church. Every uh, Twice a month, our every adult group has to go through what we call ground rules for a healthy life group. We make them go through the card in class. On the back it talks about why well, I have a healthy life group. You say, why do you do it? We don't want just the leaders to know it. We want the class to be empowered to know how to manage their group well. So you're welcome to pick some of these up if you want or pass those out. Keep, I'm a hush now. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I just wanted to say, before I had um, chosen the classes that I was going to take today, I was just like, ask God to lead me and you know, let, let me know that I made the right decision. And so you can get to the um, hate topic. Um, when I was still in there, they were singing in the um, sanctuary and everything. I wrote down what is your focus love or hate, and I was just thinking from the time I was a baby of my great grandmother not liking me because she didn't like my mother. So my focus that hate was now. God has changed me to focus on the love. Oh. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's quite a testimony. Quite a testimony. Now, last homework piece. You've been in four different sessions or two different sessions just here today. You've heard a great. Leader, if you were here last night, Mark, I mean, that guy preach. If you were not here, you need to get that, that, that message online. That man excites you. Uh, I've already told our lead pastor, at some point we've got to get Mark in our, our forefront here. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to have a great one uh, next. But you pull it up online? Yes. How do you pull it up online? In the back of the book, you can get all the different sessions. Yeah, it, it, they've got the instructions there of how you can do it. They've recorded, they recorded this. That's the reason I couldn't get too far away from this podium. Uh, uh, for every breakout that's there, they've tried to record. Okay, so you can uh, you can get those. Uh, but 
if you got all this knowledge and you go two weeks and you don't tell anybody, you're a lousy person. <laughs> you got knowledge and you didn't share. So your homework is to tell people about this, this experience, this Go Georgia experience, provided by our Georgia Baptist Mission Board. That's pretty awesome. Keith, would you close with a prayer? Lord, what a blessing to be here today. Thank you for speaking through Barry to each one of us. Lord, speaking to our hearts about our spiritual life. And Lord, I pray that uh, we've written down a lot of things. We've taken a lot of things in in this class as well as others. I pray that we would go home and apply the things that we've learned here that we put into practice these things. Thank you for each church and individual that's represented here, God. May you bless their church. Use the things that we've learned to, to build up our church body, to help others. May we be good stewards as Barry has just shared, that we be good stewards of the information that we've gathered and share it with others so that they too can benefit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Appreciate y'all. Take care. <laughs>